Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hey all, a few quick announcements before we begin. First, last Friday, I mentioned I will be doing a reading and signing at Harvard this coming Friday, March 25th. I was not aware that this is not an event open to the general public, so sorry about that, but they said I could have a few non-Harvard people there. If you're located in Boston and interested in attending, email hello at unchainedpodcast.com, subject line Harvard reading, and we will give the few spots out available to the general public first come first serve. The event, again, is Friday, March 25th from 4 to 5 p.m. on the Harvard campus at HBS Aldrich 011. I'll be interviewed about my book by NF Castle's Michelle Choi, and we'll also do a signing. I also mentioned that I will be moderating a panel the next day, but again, that is only for Harvard students. Here are the other book events I have coming up. So if you want to see me or get your book signed, please mark your calendars for these dates. I will put all the details in the show notes, and very soon, we will be putting a section for tours on my website, laurashin.com. Okay, here's the rest of the upcoming events. On Tuesday, April 5th, from 6 to 8 p.m., I will be doing a reading and signing hosted by the City of Miami Beach and Future Perfect Ventures at Skyyard. Jalak Joban Putra, CEO of Future Perfect Ventures, will be interviewing me. You need to RSVP by April 1st. Information in the show notes. On Saturday, April 9th at 11 a.m., I will be on a panel at the Annapolis Book Festival. On Tuesday, April 12th, at a time TBD, I will be at Startup Grind's global event in Redwood City, which is focused this year on Web3. And finally, I will be in conversation with author Jimmy Sony at the PBS Seattle Crosscut Festival, which takes place from May 4th to May 7th. And I will also be at the Oslo Freedom Forum which takes place from May 23rd to 25th. Details on these events are TBD. And now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the March 22nd, 2022 episode of Unchained. Buy, earn, and spend crypto on the Crypto.com app. New users can enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in the first 30 days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. This episode of Unchained is brought to you by Beefy Finance, the multi-chain yield optimizer. Beefy is the easiest way to earn more from your crypto. Deposit funds into Beefy's secure vaults to auto-compound yields across 12 blockchains. Got crypto? Choose Beefy. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking with Cross River Bank. Request your fiat on-off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com slash crypto. Today's topic is crypto efforts to support Ukraine. Here to discuss are George Kikbadzi, Vice Chair of Bitfury Group, and Ilya Polisukin, co-founder of Near Protocol. Welcome, George and Ilya. Hi, Laura. Thank you. Great to be back. Let's just start with your background in crypto so people understand what your involvement was in crypto before we get to the main topic. Sure, yeah. Uh, thanks for inviting me here. Kind of my journey in crypto started in mid-2018, where we were actually trying to build a crowdsourcing platform using blockchain as a payment service and have kind of struggled to use any of the existing at the moment platforms have being systems engineers being kind of uh, ourselves geeks who, who like to dig in we started looking around trying to understand why platforms like ethereum are not able to handle kind of global payment use case and realizing kind of a set of 
limitations like usability, like scalability. And uh, yeah, trying to explore can we contribute to existing solutions and then deciding to start near protocol, kind of trying to solve the scalability, security, and simplicity of usage of blockchain. Great. And George? Yeah, I mean, actually, my Bitcoin story um, started in Ukraine in 2013. Um, I was uh, working uh, with one of the largest agro holdings, and the idea was to, you know, take the uh, agro holding public uh, with the Western capital markets and to secure the funding for it. And through close friends of mine, I met uh, Val uh, Vavilov, you know, who, um, you know, who is the founder of Bitfury. And the idea was to scale the business and, and uh, you know, make it and global. And it's, it's, a, it's a funny story because I met Val when Bitcoin was at $20, at $50, at $100. And finally, at, uh, at, at the situation where it got to, you know, at four or 500, I, I, and I speak into a few of my friends in Silicon Valley and, and getting feedback that this, this technology was real and the innovation uh, was uh, serious, I decided to uh, leave the agriculture, the field uh, in Ukraine and join Bitfury. So I've been in, uh, uh, in the crypto community since 2013 and uh, I consider myself a dinosaur and have seen a lot happening. Um, and uh, it's, it's been one hell of a ride, as you know, Laura. And so here we're going to be discussing the crypto community efforts in Ukraine. And both of you have personal connections there. Obviously, George, you even just mentioned uh, that that was where you were when you discovered Bitcoin. Um, but Ilya, why don't we start with you? What is your connection to Ukraine? Well, I'm, I was born there and uh, I lived there until I was 21. So I left uh, to U.S. in 2012 and so studied you know, my family live and continued living there even after I left. All my friends, classmates, friends of friends, living, many of them are still there. And so, yeah, have kind of pretty deep <laughs> background from before. And then over past year, as near kind of have been, after launch, have been scaling out, we actually started building hubs and communities around the world. And I've actually spent a significant amount of my time in Kiev and Kharkiv uh, kind of growing the developer community because there's a lot of Web3 entrepreneurs and developers there. Uh, so engaging with them, we were actually planning to have a blockchain UA in end of March kind of to galvanize the community there. So yeah, it's been an unfortunate and, and very devastating because a lot of, like, I mean, some of my like people I know are right now at territorial defense right now in 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 various cities, even sounds the colleague like kind of colleagues in the ecosystem uh, are there as well, and so, um, and then obviously just a lot of kind of women and, and like parents who who have been fleeing from the from the scene there. Um, yeah, I just need to express my you know how sorry I am about everything that you know you and your family and all your friends have been going through. Um, and George, why don't you also describe your connection there? Well, Ukraine is uh, like my second homeland. You know, when um, Russia struck Georgia in 2008, uh, I was at a time uh, working in Moscow. Um, and uh, basically overnight, I had to pick everything up and leave. Uh, and I was working for a large U.S.-based hedge fund at the time uh, where I was sort of head of the region. And uh when, uh, you know, the August war happened, uh, you know, I basically had 24 hours to pick everything up um, and uh, move my family to, uh, to Kiev. You know, I spent six years in uh, Kiev, um, you know, have obviously a lot of uh, friends, um, you know, family members. Um, you know, this is the country where uh, my first uh, son was born. My firstborn was, was there. It's, it's a country where, you know, I really got the appreciation of the freedom uh, and liberty uh, love of the people of Ukraine. And this is the country where, um, you know, I experienced the first Maidan, where people of Ukraine were fed up by the corruption of Yanukovych. And, um, you know, we all marched, you know, in, uh, in, in the streets in 2013 in the Maidan. And actually I was, 
I was one of the <laughs> 33 members of the infamous uh, Tsaryov uh, list where I was deported from Ukraine. I was not let into the country and, uh, you know, was sort of a barred from entering uh, the country for my, you know, support and, uh, and uh, affection towards, towards the cause. So uh, there, there is a lot of emotion. There is a lot of uh, uh, contact, more, more, you know, spiritual, uh, you know, from, from the standpoint of a friend's. We have quite a bit of presence in Ukraine as well, from the standpoint of, of people and software developers working there. So all in the all in all, um, you know, there was just a lot of ties and 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 seeing this atrocity being committed in uh, in uh, my second homeland, my homeland, I felt compelled to act uh, as soon as practical in order to do whatever we could to help uh, you know our friends and people of Ukraine. So let's talk a little bit more about that. You know, a number of people have talked about how there has been a vibrant crypto or Web3 community in Ukraine. So describe what that community was like there, you know, which companies were there or which developers, what that scene was like. Was it more entrepreneurs or investors or traders or just kind of paint a picture of what crypto community was like in Ukraine before this war? I can uh, maybe cover some of this because um, I was I was there in January uh, before leaving for uh, East Denver, and so overall, I would say like the tech community in Ukraine have been growing insanely fast over past 10, 15 years, and I would say big part is because this is a very much a career path that is has clear kind of financial outcomes, which obviously people uh, prefer. And also, you know, is you're able to work with your mind and, and kind of contribute to a global economy. And so because of that, there's kind of a lot of developers who are working actually for co- companies around the world um, in various ways. Some of them are directly selling them through outstaffing, some of them through outsourcing, but all of that, like a lot of projects that people are using around the world are developed in Ukraine. Like this is booking.com, hotels.com. This is, you know, projects from crypto. I would say probably all of them have somewhere a group of developers working on them in Ukraine, including obviously near, uh, given kind of our roots from like me coming from Ukraine. And on top of it, I would say because of that kind of the product kind of web two product culture did not develop in Ukraine. Uh, there was no time. There was no internal market. It's kind of hard to break in into. It was hard to break in actually into kind of Silicon Valley if you're a Ukrainian founder of a Ukrainian company. So, like you need to actually move to US, spend some time there, and then you can uh, raise funds. But that is not true about F3, and especially it became less true after COVID, where investors became way more kind of, I would say, willing to invest in companies just after a Zoom call with uh, with founders. And so I think between those two changes, kind of a lot of new enterprises in Web3 specifically started in Ukraine because there was a lot, already a lot of technical talent or able to do this, but now it could convert into, you know, funding rounds, which then, you know, are able to build bigger teams, uh, you know, build marketing, all, all this kind of other thing that you need to build a proper company. And so I would say there was kind of a, on a rise, like switch from maybe a little bit more retail community, which to be clear, Ukraine is number four crypto market globally because that the crypto is the way to invest. Pretty much there's only two things to invest in, real estate and crypto before the war. And so, and because of such a big technical I would say crowd, right? Like a lot of people know how to do at least like, you know, can easily figure out how to use crypto exchanges and then go beyond that, right? And like have technical capability to read white papers and do all the stuff. So a lot of people, like I was literally on the train from Kiev to Kharkiv. Somebody was talking about all the coins they invested and like compared them, right? Just randomly on the side. So I would say like, I, I saw also the shift where like there's a lot of retail, especially kind of in between IT professionals and, and also beyond that, but then that started to switch and convert into actual founders because it kind of gave them this uh, freedom and, and, and ability. And what we see now is actually this founders being really engaged in kind of as a community to help people around the whole country as well, because they're so connected and coming from different directions as well. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Ukraine has been one of the top destinations for talent. And especially early on, the government was very sort of savvy in terms of uh, experimenting with few blockchain applications and has been actually at the forefront of, of regulatory aspects of that. You know, in terms of vibrancy of uh, an entrepreneurship culture, I mean, you, you know, you have a, at current moment just numerous groups that, you know, I see um, various, um, you know, tasks, whether it is, you know, setting up a uh, the, um, you know, Starlink systems or going in and, you know, setting up the IT army of Ukraine that's uh, going out and helping out with combating the cyber uh, space uh, or, you know, uh, documenting the, you know, the crimes, the war crimes that are being committed. So, um, you know, there are dozens of these groups extremely active with savvy founders uh, that have roots uh, not only in Ukraine, but all around the world that are collaborating on various projects and allocating resources in order to uh, protect their motherland and, you know, ensure that, you know, this uh, uh, tyranny uh, is thwarted and, uh, you know, the peace returns and Ukraine is, you know, rebuilt to much better than it was before. And I'm absolutely confident that, you know, given the spirit of the people, <laughs> think, you know, the world has learned what it is to fight like Ukrainian. And, uh, you know, the Western hemisphere uh, that has been very shallow on understanding what liberty and freedom is, Ukraine has exported it and exported what it means to fight for freedom, to fight for statehood and for fight for liberty. And I think that has lacked to some degree. You know, these were the qualities that have been forgotten all around the world, you know, because frankly speaking, in the last sort of uh, 10, 15 years, we had this advent of authoritarianisms and tyrannies around the world. And, you know, little Ukraine, uh, you know, it was a David that has roared and has showed the world what it is to, to, you know, to love the country, to love the freedom and to love the liberty. And I think this will go down in the history books as the shining example and, frankly speaking, as a turning example of a civilization to really focus on really what matters and on the big stones. And freedom and liberty is, is one of these, those key uh, parameters. Yeah, I agree. And I also think this will go down in the history books because of how quickly crypto got involved in this war. I mean, it was really mind-blowing, frankly, for, you know, as I, I've said, I, I started covering this piece almost seven years ago. And definitely, you know, at that time, just with the way the technology had developed, you know, there was very uh, little adoption. And so to see it become used both kind of on the ground as well as at the highest levels of government very, very quickly uh, or, at, or at least discussed. I mean, it's, it's really been remarkable. Let's talk about kind of that on the ground picture first, as far as I understand. And obviously I'm sure you're only aware of the picture in Ukraine, but I even saw that in Russia, you know, people are turning like everyday people are turning to crypto to transact. So in Ukraine, why don't you kind of explain uh, what that has looked like, why it is that people have been turning to crypto, for what purpose, why is it that they're choosing crypto over other forms of money, and um, how has the demand for crypto in Ukraine kind of changed uh, people's ability to transact or how they're transacting in crypto? Well, I think it started really at the point where when we learned about this, right, I think Kind of all of us try to find a way to help and the simplest way was to donate and so the first thing i actually did was donating to come back alive via bitcoin uh, which is what uh, george will talk about probably but then kind of a group of entrepreneurs uh crypto entrepreneurs from ukraine kind of came together to form a kind of more i would say like focused on humanitarian needs of of the people who will be kind of affected by this and the benefit there is that if you want to start a new nonprofit, new NGO, that that's a very complicated process. If you want to open a bank account, if you want to start accepting donations, if you, then donations themselves, you know, why transfers like to new NGOs, there's lots of compliance that we'll need to go through. And given we're kind of at a very fast moving situation, right, that's just not the right way. And so crypto became kind of this 
really easy way to create an organization that is like has a specific mandate and is able to distribute those funds as well. And so, you know, setting up multisig, setting up DAOs, uh, even as, as a kind of structure, you know, was just super easy and and was done like you know within minutes. And then you know we can start posting it and start spreading it around, right? So the interesting part is that the fund we started called Unchain Fund, very much within the <laughs> name of the podcast. And so kind of the goal of which was you know like Ukraine has this very unfortunate history of being kind of hit by everyone who is fighting over and over again and Ukrainian you know, people want to stand up and have their own freedom, their, their own history, not like history of other countries around them. And so really trying to kind of break this chain uh, of events. And at the same time, you know, use the blockchain, use the crypto as a driver, as, a, as an engine for doing that. And so uh, as we launch it, and there's like a number of number of people like uh, Rev Miller and Oleg Kurchenko, Alexei uh, Mirsky, uh, Alexei Bovak, who have been uh, kind of driving this, it allowed to really move like and start, you know, distributing money to people, to volunteers on this kind of on the streets of Kiev and Kharkiv, for example, like within the same day, right? And so, like, I think within the first day, it was already over a million dollars that like were collected, and then you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars started to be kind of distributed. At this moment, already over six point eight million. Uh, was like almost three million dollars being allocated already. So really, it's it's kind of the speed, the the agility, and also the trust, right? Because we can actually build a multisig, we can build a DAO structure that is transparent, that is uh, like accountable, that we can actually see where the transactions are going, and we can assign like what a specific needs have been fulfilled. Now, obviously not. Everything is being accepted in crypto and it still needs to be converted here and there to fiat. And which, by the way, big thanks is to some of the kind of crypto exchanges in Ukraine that are still running and operating uh, green pairs and are able to cash this out. And at the same time, more and more people are willing to accept crypto as well because it creates like they are able in, in Ukraine, they're able to kind of have this asset uh, themselves as well which may be decorrelated of the current uh, exchange rates. Something that interests me about what you said is, so I obviously totally get how fundraising would be a lot faster and easier, but even, you know, when you were saying that the people who are kind of like buying supplies and stuff that the suppliers are starting to accept it. What's in it for them? Like, why would they be compelled to do this as well? What is it that, you know, kind of the normal payment system is breaking down or what's happening that would even cause them to start transacting in crypto? So I would say it's actually was like, it, it was moving down. So first, uh, volunteers who would be going out in the, into a store, they they were accept, started accepting crypto. And by that, do you mean like Bitcoin and Ether or just de- define what you mean? Anything near, like anything that's liquid and has a pair with Grivna, for example, because they could actually convert it to Grivna to their card and uh, it actually is pretty much instant. And so they can actually get it to their cards from any crypto through the, like exchanges like Kuna and Whitebit to, to their card and pay for it in a store. These are like prepaid cards, like debit cards? Yeah, like a debit card, yeah. Credit cards are not used as much. But I think like th- that was kind of first step. And, and so the reasoning to do that actually are limits. So there are limits on exchanges, limits on central bank like how much currency you can exchange and stuff like this so this way kind of by pretty much crowdsourcing the exchanging on itself was already was already powerful but then beyond that the suppliers started accepting it as well because they wanted if they wanted to deal with dollars dollars don't actually are in circulation in in ukraine right and so if they want to direct their exchange rate um, they can actually accept stable coins for example uh, for themselves Okay. Yeah. Cause I was hearing that a tether is now more valuable than us dollars, that there's a premium of like four to 5%. And that even then people won't want to sell you their tether um, because they view it as more valuable than us dollars. Is that something that you've also heard or what's your sense of why that might be? Yeah, that happens every time there's a crunch on, on demand on, on going into crypto. That That's just like that, that happens every like few months or every six months, even before when there's like a uh, something in the market, the desert price go up like locally on, on a spot. 
because it like it's hard to get it. Like if you are in Ukraine, it's actually hard to get Tether from Bitfinex, right? Because like the flow of money is complicated. But I would say like beyond that is is people are want to convert currencies back and forth, right? Be, depending on what what is their kind of what is their next steps going to be. And so yeah, kind of stable coins have been you know growing in adoption for sure in Ukraine because they are allowing to kind of move some of the assets they had in Greenland, for example, to a stable coin that's not, you know, directly in paper, which is also hard to, to get by. And George, did you want to add any of this about kind of how everyday people are transacting in crypto? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, to step back a little bit, the whole purpose of kind of realizing, okay, this is, uh, you know, this, this is uh, quite serious and people of Ukraine will need help. Uh, and they will need a lot of help fast. You know, you step back and, you know, obviously um, I'm quite familiar with the key crypto community players. But you got to step back that crypto itself and the people behind crypto to a large extent are the people that have gotten into it to make a world a better place. You know, they have gotten in to improve things, to alter the status quo. And when we saw the pictures of sort of Russian planes attacking innocent civilians, that channeled energy. And in our community, that energy and that support on the crypto uh, community, crypto was just a means of channeling that energy of the support to the people in Ukraine. And um, as soon as the invasion started, which ironically started at four in the morning, same time when the Hitler, um, you know, invaded Soviet Union in 1941, uh, 4 a.m., uh, some twisted, uh, uh, you know, Kremlin sort of a plot. You know, in the morning when I woke up and we saw the, the news, first of all, I woke up, I looked at the Bitcoin price, it was down, and I knew, oh, shit, something really must have happened, you know. That was, and actually, interestingly, throughout this sort of a, a war every time I, you know, been waking up and haven't been much sleep, but I'm seeing prices and it's, it's amazing how sort of a, the prices reacted when situation got worse versus towards a peace settlement. It, it really is profound how uh, momentarily the, the sort of Bitcoin price has been reacting to that, obviously the crypto market. So I contacted a few of my friends whom I trust on the ground and I said, listen, you know, we're here, we're here to help. How can we help? And, uh, through, few of the uh, trusted parties that come out and you know, come back alive is the organization. And I started going out and how can we make a donations? And I realized that their USD account that was with Partion or Pantheon, the, the uh, Pantheon, it was blocked because Partion considered them uh, to be buying military equipment. Um, and it was a complete BS uh, because the uh, the funds they allocated from Come Back Alive were focused on primarily on getting defensive gear, such as bulletproof vests, helmets, uh, you know, medications, uh, you know, various protective gear to, to protect the, the cities. And I realized it would not even be worth right now to get the best legal counsel and going and sorting that out. And I realized, why don't we get the BTC address, rev it up and start promoting? And that's what we've been, you know, we started doing. And in a very short period of time, a lot of that energy was channeled into the Bitcoin wallet and the volunteers on the ground, you know, used that to acquire those helmets. And frankly speaking, a lot of the sellers of this equipment, they're completely fine getting paid in the crypto. You know, these are the entities located in Finland, in Sweden, in Germany, in the United States. And there was no issue whatsoever. And I'll tell you more. We actually ran a few of the extraction operations by the ex-Green Berets on the ground, and they were completely fine to be paid in Bitcoin <laughs> to go and get the job done and, you know, to get the innocent, uh, you know, civilians from Chernigov, from Sumy, from Kharkiv and other places. So in an environment where there is instability and upheaval in a financial system, what I realized that people view having a, an option outside of existing system is extremely valuable. And you just don't know. You may have grievances, but God forbid the national bank gets bombed or, you know, or, you know, as you've seen, you know, they're bombing maternity wards. What precludes them bombing central bank and, you know, major bank? And all of a sudden you, you, you know, you're stuck. Your system is frozen. 
crypto has provided this alternative, which is extremely valuable in turbulent times like this. So uh, we had great success and, you know, we raised um, close to $16 million, which Big Chunk has been allocated. And, um, you know, I, we're very proud that, uh, you know, many of the crypto community folks that have come in and made allocations have, uh, you know, have uh, made an impact. And that's where we met with Ilya, through common friends, through, you know, discussions. And one of the first things was Ilya being sort of operational. Like, what are the logistics? How can we improve it? What is the procurement system? You know, because, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, we're sort of getting the funds, but actually how, how do you make sure that those funds get allocated to the right equipment that get to the right people on the ground that in, are used uh, in the right uh, operational environment? So we had a few collaborations and, you know, I'm glad that, um, you know, in this time of need, many people stepped up from the crypto community through our efforts or outside our efforts like CZ uh, from Binance has donated $10 million. Gavin from Polka has donated five. Solana has had a big effort um, outside of crypto. Ashton uh, Kutcher and Mila. Mila is from Chernivtsi, actually, from West Ukraine, and they started a GoFund campaign. Uh, and they're narrowing, you know, nearing $30 million donations. So all in all, and Mikhailo Fyodorov and the team at, at uh, Ministry, you know, they're nearing uh, all in all with all the Ukraine close to 70. So all in all with these efforts, we are kind of approaching 150 million-ish, which properly allocated for the right sort of a targeted approaches, I think is making tremendous impact. And frankly speaking, this is, First time during a war of such scale, such scale has been organized so rapidly and dispersed so uh, you know efficiently in in in, a, in time horizon that we have seen. Yeah, it's honestly really remarkable to be watching it from the outside. I mean, it it's obviously historic. Um, one point I wanted to clarify: so for when you talked about posting the Bitcoin address, uh, where was that? Which because uh, obviously there were multiple different fundraising efforts. So for the one that you helped organize, which one was that? It was purely Comeback Alive Foundation and their Bitcoin world. Yeah. So we focused on that. And actually, they have had such huge um, inflow of not only crypto, but also donations in kind and uh, also fiat donations that has sorted out that, uh, you know, they, they are well funded right now. And the next effort that we will be announcing in a couple of weeks is actually an effort to help the children of Ukraine, uh, children that have uh, lost their parents during bombing or, you know, during military, uh, during the war, will be raising a foundation to, uh, to help the children of heroes. It's a Children of Hero Foundation, and we'll be announcing in the next couple of weeks' time. So stay tuned for that. All right. So in a moment, we'll talk more about how these funds will be deployed. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Finance is changing. Strategies are changing. Holding is changing. Beefy Finance, the multi-chain yield optimizer, allows you to maximize passive income while you sleep. Simply deposit your crypto into Beefy's secure, industry-leading auto-compounding vaults to put your funds to work. Each one of Beefy's 740 vaults automatically reinvests the interest gained on your crypto deposits, earning you more while saving you time and fees. Beefy's strategies create bank-busting APYs with 0% deposit fees at the click of a button. Join $1.4 billion of investments and understand why so many users trust Beefy with their financial independence. Visit beefy.finance and take control of your financial future. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. New users enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in their first 30 days. With Crypto.com Earn, you can get industry-leading interest rates of up to 8.5% on over 40 coins, including Bitcoin, and earn up to 14% on stablecoins. With the Crypto.com Visa card, you can spend your crypto anywhere. Enjoy up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions, and zero annual fees. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Building the next big thing in crypto? 
Cross River has your back. Whether you are a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payments solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on-off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com slash crypto. Back to my conversation with George and Ilya. So we kind of discussed a little bit about how you're using the funds. You know, I have seen some chatter where people have said, oh, you know, do people realize what this money is going toward? You know, you talked about how Patreon blocked those efforts because, um, you know, they, I guess, have a policy against funding military, the purchase of military equipment. But I did want to ask, so I've heard, you know, from some people that some of the funds are being used to purchase military equipment and then from others that it's being used to purchase other things such as like bulletproof vests or night vision goggles or tourniquets. So can you just talk a little bit about how it is that these funds are being used and, um, you know, how those decisions are being made? So for us, kind of the goal, original goal was, yeah, to focus specifically on humanitarian needs. So what what are the all kind of, you know, food, shelter, evacuation uh, kind of funds needed. And then kind of over time, there definitely appeared a need that, you know, literally our friends who are, you know, subs- or like for some people, their family who actually signed up for territorial defense were pretty much sitting there without defensive gear, right? They were did not have a bulletproof vest. They did not have kind of even basic like, you know, cask. Uh, type of equipment because it was, you know, not delivered. And so this is where kind of Unchained Fund, a lot of it was focused on kind of this, you know, food, medicine, uh, things that needed for civilians to, you know, survive, get out of the place there are, settle them, for example, in Western Ukraine. And then this is where I actually connected with George and has come back alive because, yeah, there was a huge need in like, how do we get defensive equipment to the you know, our friends pretty much who are in, in this kind of front lines, right? Again, my, my friends are in Kharkiv, right? They are actually in active combat um, like every day. And so at the same time, there are, you know, other friends who are in Europe who are actually procuring uh, can like get uh, a lot of this equipment. So that that's uh, where kind of Comeback Life, I think, uh, became very important piece, at least for me. And I know George kind of was there from, from day one. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to understand, Laura, when uh, the extent of the invasion was uh, realized by uh, by the Ukrainians, uh, you know, you had the situation where the country was being attacked from five different sites uh, by, you know, world's argu- arguably, you know, world's second largest army. Now, now we know what years of corruption has done to the Russian army and, you know, how sort of a strong it is. But uh, nevertheless, it's a massive army that has attacked from Belarus, from, you know, Russian side, from, uh, you know, the southern flanks. And Ukrainians just started mass mobilization. So you had a case where hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians would be showing up, including, you know, women. And there would be uh, not enough, not only, you know, weapons, but protective gear. So you basically had, you know, all of a sudden hundreds of thousands of volunteers ready to stand up and protect the country, but they were completely unprotected, you know, and the uh, priority was sort of a signal that, you know, if you have this full stage invasion where the major Ukrainian army is bogged down actually in the east with the Donetsk and Lugansk region, and you have this major onslaught coming from the north, from the east and from the south, you need to have these people have protective gear because if you don't, first, they're not going to be protecting the civilians. And you've seen cases of, you know, innocent civilians being completely shot out by, you know, by the soul, by the Russian soldiers. And second, you're just going to have exaggeration of, of the humanitarian crisis because you will need the medications to treat these people. And the healthcare system is not equipped to be all of a sudden treating so many wounded and incapacitated people. 
So we had to scramble. We had to scramble right away to start getting the vests, you know, to start getting, um, you know, the helmets. These were the priorities. And 80% of the resources were allocated towards that. And then channeling them towards Sumi, towards Kharkov, towards the Chernigon. Frankly speaking, the reason Kiev has stood and actually thwarted the invasion and now kind of are counterattacking and throwing out because of heroic defense of the Kharkov and Sumy of Chernigov, because if the Russian army came through there from the eastern flanks, they would have been already in, you know, in Kiev. And that army was held in the, in the eastern part and, and a lot of defensive weapons um, gear was, was there. In terms of getting, you know, obviously, you know, the West had this wake-up call and they realized, okay, well, you know what, guess what, uh, you know, if, if Ukraine falls, we are next. And where next means that um, in, in a very high probability NATO fifth article, and you, you're, you're looking at sort of a World War III, actually, in, in that regard. So they scrambled to their credit, and they started providing uh, lots of military gear, you know, lots of stingers, lots of general javelins, lots of endless. So a lot of military equipment um, has been provided by governments directly. And obviously, they have made a big difference. You know, they have made a big difference. It's great to have a courage. Uh, it's important, but having modern equipment and mo- modern military equipment does help. And Ukrainians um, have shown their courage in terms of going out and thwarting the attacks. And we played a small role in terms of making sure that when the army attacks and when the bombs fall, at least they have a protective gear so they don't get uh, you know, injured and they don't uh, put additional strain on the healthcare. Um, system. Listen, in addition, Comeback um, Alive has been doing a lot of evacuation missions uh, to be taking out women and children from, uh, from uh, you know, places as far away as Mariupol, for example, that you're seeing, uh, assisting uh, the refugees, uh, you know, that over two and a half million refugees now um, have gone to, uh, you know, outside Ukraine, predominantly towards, you know, Poland and, uh, uh, you know, other places in Western uh, Europe and in Georgia as well. Um, so that has been a primary, primary sort of effort that we've been funding. And so, Ilya, you mentioned how um, some of your friends are fighting in the front lines. During all this, you know, as we discussed, there is this vibrant crypto community in the Ukraine. So where did the crypto community go? Are some of those people fighting or did they go to other countries or what has happened to that community? Yeah, I, I would say there's a combination of, I would say there is a subset of people who either had a military training before or had some kind of training who have decided to stay back and fight. Like it doesn't actually make sense to fight if you don't know, because there's been a lot of kind of training prior uh, it is indeed like hundreds of thousands of volunteers. And so those people kind of are, you know, like literally some of them in Kharkiv right now that I know that we've been helping with protective gear, with getting them mobility, for example, because their cars keep getting break, breaking down. It's like the weather is pretty, really bad, right? They're also under attack all the time. The other set of people have been kind of helping. So there's a lot of volunteers on the ground who are helping like driving food, water. I mean, things are getting bombed, things, like cars are getting shot at. Uh, so there's people actually who are driving around, delivering food and water and kind of uh, other supplies to people. I can actually uh, send over some pictures uh, of people who who have been funding. Uh, there is a set of people who've been helping out to evacuate others, right? Especially when we're talking about women, children, uh, kind of grandparents, like including mine, for example, uh, to get them out of this and, and kind of move them toward Western Ukraine and uh, over the border for women and, and children. And uh, there's a set of people who are not fighters, who are in Western Ukraine now, who are kind of, you know, the, one of the other things we need to continue doing is actually working because we will need to restore the Ukraine, which means we need to continue making economy work. And so there's a lot of people who are continue working as as kind of uh, much as it's possible, be including you know engineers and and uh, like folks we we uh, working with who are you know continue to contribute uh, even though sometimes they need to go to bomb shelters. 
when there's a siren. And so I think the people who have left, like they're kind of starting to aggregate in different hubs. For us, we decided Portugal uh, will be one of those hubs. We're setting up kind of infrastructure here for our teams, for, for near community more broadly, and also kind of trying to help out, like working with local city hall here and some of the other uh, kind of district level folks to see how we can help. We actually launched uh, Away from Ukraine as a portal for all the information that people need to, like when they are away from Ukraine, immigration, healthcare, and kind of starting to collect volunteer information as well, because a lot of people around whole Europe are willing to help, uh, but they don't know how, and they don't know how to get matched with people who need help, right? Like we have people offering, you know, translation services. We have people who drivers, like actually like, there are some volunteers in Romania who helped to drive my family uh, over the border uh, outside, right? And so, like people like that who are right now driving uh, food and 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 uh, uh, other supplies through Romanian border into Ukraine, that that gets distributed back to volunteers that drive it to Kharkiv. So, like all those people, right? They're willing to help, and so like coordinating that, making sure there is a clear uh, kind of place where people can find information, and then. Kind of building a little bit of tech around that, uh, like question answering uh, bots and stuff like this to kind of help coordinate that. You know, in terms of this issue of people needing help and then, you know, trying to coordinate that help, uh, one of my personal friends tweeted about how her grandmother and father were trapped there. And I I can't remember, I think, I, I think it was a while before I myself saw the tweet, um, like maybe like hours after she posted it. And by the time I saw it and retweeted it, it already had like 90,000 likes and another, you know, tens of thousands of retweets. So definitely. And then later she tweeted that, you know, they were rescued and stuff, but, you know, definitely people were doing all they could. I mean, uh, from our homes on our, on our phones and on Twitter. um, But, you know, still it, it actually hurt her, cry for help from San Francisco finally actually did result in her um, grandmother and, and father being rescued. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really fascinating how this is all happening. But, you know, in a similar vein, I did want to talk a little bit about how the Ukrainian government has been making these appeals and has been using crypto as a tool. And, you know, I don't know how much insight you have there, but, you know, I was just curious, like how it is that the Ukrainian government, you know, was so kind of savvy about crypto. And um, if you have any intel on how they had these ideas to just tweet out their um, various crypto addresses and stuff like that, I, I think it's very fascinating because I personally don't think that if the U.S. were in the same situation that we would see um, <laughs> high-level administration officials tweeting out a Bitcoin or Ether address for the U.S. Um, so, you know, I was just interested kind of like how they became so savvy. Well, so it's specifically, there's a Ministry of Digital Transformation who has been driving all of these efforts. And so all credit to them. They actually been proponents of crypto for a long time. And actually, Ukraine has passed the crypto clarification laws a few weeks before this all start, thing started, uh, which we all were super happy about and, and wanted to celebrate, uh, hopefully, <laughs> at, at the blockchain UA. And so... Yeah, in general, yeah, I mean, the digital transformation ministry is kind of extremely savvy in everything digital in general. They have built a kind of an amazing platform called DIA that functions inside in, uh, inside Ukraine, which was kind of a single platform for all the services that you would usually engage with, with the government. Everything from, you know, taxation, uh, creation of company, medical, like all of those things were in one place. Uh, and it, it worked with your banking account as well. So it kind of created that whole ecosystem. And uh, yeah, I mean, they are very savvy in crypto. We like, actually, we were in the same co-working space as the DIA development team, which is led by kind of uh, like directly by the digital transformation group. And so kind of in general, uh, they know very well kind of uh, how all those things work. And they you know started creating um, accounts pretty rapidly to to collect this. They also are working with a lot of entrepreneurs and kind of are connected with with the whole ecosystem. I don't know like how, how much of this is public, but yeah, like they they are working with with uh, tons of entrepreneurs in crypto, kind of both to 
get help as well as to ask for you know, connections and, and uh, sounds of technical help as well. And they have started the IT Army kind of initiative as well to kind of galvanize the technical talent that Ukraine has uh, to kind of help with a lot of the problems. Both, both kind of on defensive front, like there have been a cyber attacks from Russia's side as well as limiting kind of the spread of information that uh, Russia has been having. I mean, if you if you look, I think it has been profound what Ukrainian government and the leadership uh, has done in terms of utilizing social media uh, platform uh, for reaching out hearts of minds of not just politicians, but of common people all around the world. And not only Ukrainians have been uh, sort of a kicking ass on the military front, but they, they completely kicked ass and obliterated Russian propaganda machine to a point where the propaganda, uh, even inside Russia, is starting to take. It's, it's kind of, it seems, are coming off, you know. You know, obviously, it comes in uh, from the leadership of President Zelensky. Um, you know, I've met him on a couple of occasions. This is a very patriotic man that, you know, stood up to the challenge. And he has, on a very human level, reached out and pierced through the feelings um, of people around the world. And I think the team around him has rallied behind and have used the social media, whether it's, you know, enlisting Elon to get the Starlings or going out and kind of calling out, uh, you know, Samsung or Apple or Google or YouTube in order to do this or that. And obviously when, you know, that, that, that's, those messages kind of come alive that get caught by media and then people that know people talk directly to, you know, to the decision makers and, you know, say, hey, what's going on? Can you, you know, do this or can you do that? So we've been calling in frankly, a lot of favors, uh, and not just favors, it's just asking directly, hey, you want to be on the right side of the history, and, uh, you know, this is the situation, and, you know, this is the ask, and, um, you know, we had a very high convert rate. So uh, the government itself has been very savvy from the reforms that have been doing up to that, and now with this situation, that have they have completely, you know, sort of a slam dunk in terms of using um, social media and channels in terms of getting the message out, rallying out uh, support uh, through common people and, you know, rallying up governments. And frankly speaking, if, you know, we didn't have social media and this conflict happened 20 years ago, uh, you know, it would have been a very, very uh, different outcome. You know, it, it would have been a very, very hard sort of a, a push and hard struggle and, you uh, you know, there's, there's been, there would have been much more tragic and many more atrocities committed and such. But now everything is, you know, live, basically. You have, you know, tanks coming out and Ukrainian partisans are FaceTiming the locations in real time. And, you know, they're being the, the you know, the uh, satellite images or, you know, the recordings. And all of that is uh, giving you sort of a, a live uh, situation of things on the ground that's, you know, helping tremendously the armed forces and obviously information war using the tools have uh, have been done marvelously and and have uh, you know given a lot of uh, positive to uh, to ukrainian people yeah i agree i've said this repeatedly throughout the episode but it is just so fascinating to watch because clearly things would have turned out very differently if it weren't for the various ways that the technology both of web 2 and web 3 is being used here one thing that I did want to ask about was, uh, obviously, there was a moment when the Ukrainian government promised an airdrop for people who contributed. Uh, obviously, they ended up, uh, you know, kind of saying that they were decided against going through with that. But what did you make of that move and then the decision to reverse course? You know, what do you think kind of uh, maybe happened there that initially caused them to make that announcement, but then change their minds? So I don't, I don't know the reasoning behind the kind of making the decision and, and changing mind, but I, I would say like the idea was definitely to kind of highlight the people who have contributed, right? And so the kind of the idea of to give out NFTs that, you know, would show that you supported uh, through donations to, to this, I mean, we can speculate on what, what kind of changing the mind. I think 
generally right now, it's just not the right time. Like they have plenty of more immediate things to do. And so uh, kind of the, the NFT project, there's a lot of NFT projects right now to support Ukraine that are happening and kind of their their goal is to actually raise more funds to then fund them to help people. And so I think the there will be a time hopefully soon when this war ends and we're going to switch to recovery mode where we should, you know, highlight people who have helped and who have done, you know, job here, but it's not right now. Right now it's really kind of, how do we stop this? How do we kind of help people who are still in immediate danger and how we kind of help people who are not in immediate danger, but actually are, you know, will be running out of food or, you know, right now kind of outside of Ukraine now kind of in a new environment and actually have huge PTSD. This is something that, I haven't heard anyone talking about, but like even just from the friends who are arriving now in Portugal who have been there or my, my family, like they all have PTSD in some form, right? They've, you know, they've been under bombs, they've been under shooting, they've been like forcefully relocated and like this will be kind of a lot of time to recover. And, and this is actually something that like, I hope, you know, we can find like this war is, you know, there's a peace, at least some like ceasefire we can start recovering and rebuilding because we can actually rebuild way stronger country from this and help people kind of to really you know with this rallying around get them in stronger and bigger country uh, out of ukraine yeah one thing i will say obviously um people probably know already but after the airdrop was announced then of course there were a bunch of wallets that were farming the airdrop, you know, sending like just tiny, tiny, tiny donations. Um, So I do wonder if that played a role, you know, clearly. Yeah. uh, It's interesting because of course the war has brought out, I think, such a great response from the crypto community. It, you know, really highlights kind of all the wonderful things about it. But then of course, uh, we've also seen um, the same kind of shady or just opportunistic behaviors that uh, we're all familiar with in crypto as well. So, you know, we've seen both sides. It's been one of the, I would say, major issues that we actually need Web3 to solve and kind of understand the reputation of people that you're dealing with. Because especially now, like a lot of it is in Telegram and Signal, which is, you know, useful for 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 many reasons, but then we don't actually understand who is the person on the other side, like how like what's their reputation, who they're, who they're connected to, which communities they're part of. And so having that information being kind of private, but also available in some summarized, you know, zero knowledge form that you can judge based on when you're connecting with people, when you're engaging with someone to prevent this kind of forms of, there, there's actually scams happening. Like people are trying, like even with Unchained Fund, we are open to for volunteers who are helping the ground, but we're doing like, deep KYC with like proof of location. And we keep actually finding people who are trying to scam this, right? And so actually building out a kind of working KYC, kind of not not KYC, but actually reputation system that works beyond just kind of basic identity, but actually like, you know, what are the things that you've done already? What are the things that kind of positive that you bring to the world? Who are the other friends who are, who are you working with, communities that you're participating in? Kind of encompassing that into some some form that others can work on and judge on when they're engaging with you is super important. I think like is something that like I'm excited about again after after we hopefully get into a stable state and start rebuilding uh, to start engaging in. Yeah, I actually just did an interview. I have this new like premium offering where people can subscribe and they get additional content. And I just did an interview with a, a project called Galaxy. And they're actually doing uh, just what you're talking about. So uh, it was a very interesting interview. It sort of, you know, made you realize kind of finally how, because it's long been promised that blockchain technology could be applied to identity and reputation. But yeah, this is one project that is kind of working on that. George, did you want to add anything on this airdrop or even the subsequent NFT that they announced they were going to drop? Yeah, I mean, I've been so kind of focusing on the fundraising efforts and kind of evacuating, um, you know, friends and relatives from uh, Chernigov and uh, Kharkiv that, you know, I, I saw that in the news, but frankly speaking, it's it's been overshadowed by bombs dropping and maternity wars being blown up, getting the help on the ground. But I'm sure once the dust settles, that will, you know, that will be one of the questions. And I think 
the uh, the team should provide the answer. What was the reasoning behind, and uh, see what can be can be done to make sort of uh, 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 make people whole, so to speak. That that would be my advice. Yeah, my understanding it was just NFT. There was no like it wasn't supposed to be like a token airdrop. It was supposed to be just NFT for people who have contributed to kind of showcase the support. Oh, oh. Okay, so but I thought originally it was a token, and and then they changed to NFTs. But you were saying that originally it was NFTs. Yeah, I think that was just kind of. I think again, they're very overworked. That Twitter is, you know, like Twitter for that. For that is something kind of trendy that they're doing. So I think they were just. I mean, they were trying to kind of again, as my understanding, to to highlight the people who have been contributing and helping. That that's really been the. The goal, not not to create some kind of other talking economics. Okay. At least as far as as far as I understand. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, kind of the the what it is that the crypto community can do going forward. You know, I feel like this was obviously in the news in a much bigger way just even a little while ago, but I feel like there's been less news about it, at least in the crypto world. So what would you want for people to know or to have them do um, based off of listening to this episode? Yeah, I think there there are a few things. I mean, obviously, beyond just kind of contributing to various of these efforts, depending on what kind of you align with most or or um, uh, what it kind of you directly want to contribute to. I think there are you know looking for volunteers to help out with with a lot of this. Like we, if we're talking, you know, somebody who is in the European Union, like. Who people who can help with with all these refugees and and uh, kind of people who have been displaced. Again, I mentioned away from Ukraine is is a portal we're trying to build to kind of organize this information and uh, options. And then beyond that, I think supporting Ukrainians, like honestly, even even in kind of mental, like, you know, friendly way, because like everyone having a hard time and uh, they need, they need your support. They need your kind of friendship as well. Yeah. I mean, I just want to um, thank everybody in a major way who has um, come in times of need. Um, And I've been uh, overwhelmed and uh, my heart has been warmed by the help and assistance from many and in some cases from unexpected places. Uh, There have been a few surprises on the other side as well that have kind of stayed aloof and um, stayed, uh, uh, I wouldn't say indifferent, but uh, um, not as active as I would have expected. But, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, 95% of people I reached out and uh, discussions have uh, came out in, in, in small way, in big way, in unexpected way. And, uh, you know, uh, thanks. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, the great karma for uh, for the world. And uh, in times of this, I think when world comes together to help each other and to uh, give a caring hand is is what it matters. And uh, crypto community to a large extent, with all this infighting between various protocols sometimes and Twitter wars and stuff. You know, I I came to witness that when when there was a human tragedy and human. Uh, need uh, that people put aside, uh, you know, all, all this, all this, and united together to do. And and I want to thank everybody. Um, thank uh, you, yeah, for uh, all the work you're doing. And uh, he actually has a great group uh, on Telegram, and so many participants. And every day there is, you know, soup kitchen or you know, evacuating people, and with pictures. And it's a very vibrant community. Uh, it's 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 wonderful seeing people from all over the world coming and. And, um, uh, you know, here in Georgia, we're also putting together trucks of humanitarian stuff and sending out. And we have thousands and thousands of Ukrainians that are coming that are being lodged free of charge and staying and, um, you know, sort of cared for. And, and I just want to thank everyone who has um, who has come in and uh, you've done a great thing and uh, something to be proud of. So thank you. All right. So for people who want to get involved, what are all the handles and um, websites and uh, groups that they should know about? Yeah, I mean, Unchained Fund, Unchained.Fund is uh, kind of this humanitarian fund. I mean, Come Back Alive is uh, kind of what uh, George been working with. Uh, you can also check out the uh, Digital Ministry of Digital Transformation, their website. And then uh, away from Ukraine is for the kind of for helping people who have been 
uh, who are outside of Ukraine now and who you know need help because they've been kind of forcefully removed. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, exactly what Ilya said. I also point out to many in uh, United States that uh, Ashton's and uh, Mila's GoFund campaign. Um, I think it's it's a, it's a great effort, and they're nearing uh, their sort of a target. So that's um, you know it's a great way to get engaged. And in a couple of weeks' times, we'll announce the heroes of uh, Ukraine Children's Fund, and uh, you know I'll be more than happy to then promote and uh, get uh, you know get uh, crypto community engaged continue sort of helping and uh, you know doing uh, doing good great well thank you both so much for coming on Unchained thank you thanks so much Laura thanks so much for joining us today to learn more about George Ilya and their efforts in Ukraine check out the show notes for this episode Unchained is produced by me Laura Shin with help from Anthony Yoon Daniel Ness Mark Murdoch Shashank and CLK Transcription thanks for listening <laughs>